they were sending messages to the FBI and the CIA demanding that different posts of American accounts be taken down, including the State Department. When you have a foreign government dictating your citizens' rights of what they can and cannot say, that's a problem. And that should not be a partisan issue. That should be a concern for everyone. Hey everybody, I'm with Congresswoman Kat Kamak. She represents uh, this district here in North Central Florida, Gainesville, some of the surrounding communities. Uh, thank you very much for being with us, Congresswoman. Uh, one of the hot issues, as you know, is immigration. You've been uh, leading on this issue. In fact, they just did a write-up on your controversial comments. Uh, but Americans across the political spectrum are very concerned about what's happening at the border. You've made some trips down there. Uh, tell us, in, in your view, what is happening there and why is the Biden administration allowing this? Well, first and foremost, thank you for the opportunity. And we have to keep the border crisis at the forefront because every town in America today is a border town as a result of Joe Biden's open border policies. I've been there nine times myself. I've taken our local sheriffs from the area to the to the border. I work shifts overnight with the agents, with both Texas DPS, which is their public safety, as well as Border Patrol. In my experience, you are seeing a humanitarian crisis, a public health crisis, and a national security crisis. The cartels are 100% involved in the trafficking of individuals and drugs across the border into the United States, and the Biden administration is complicit in completing the trafficking circle on behalf of the cartels. It's big business. Every single month, the cartels are making over a billion dollars just in the human trafficking that they are engaged in. That doesn't include the fentanyl, which has killed over 100,000 Americans every single year. When you look at places in my district, for example, like Ocala, there have been bricks of fentanyl with the stamps of cartels found in Ocala that came through various sectors of the open southern border. This is a crisis that has now resulted, and this is a staggering statistic, more illegals coming through the southwest border than there are children being born to American mothers. There are more illegals now today that have come through the southwest border under Joe Biden's tenure than there have been American children born. That right there should send a red flag up in every American's minds because think of the, the pressures that are being placed on communities where these people are coming to. In Maryland, in Howard County, the school board is trying to establish a new seat that only illegals can vote for. In California, they are giving free health care to illegals. We are seeing a total erosion of our constitutional rights. And as a result, you have 151 different national uh, nationalities that are being seen every single day at the border. It's only a matter of time before we have a terrorist attack, which of course we've seen over a thousand of those suspected international terrorists on the international watch list that have been apprehended. That doesn't include the ones that got away. 
there will be some very, very troubling things happening in the future. And if we don't get a handle on this, we risk losing our national security and sovereignty. Yeah, I, I've spoken with Michael Yan, who's been doing a lot of the groundbreaking reporting. He says this is an invasion force. Uh, there's been hearings in Congress where they showed there are actual special forces from the People's Liberation Army coming across the border. And so the question is, why is the Biden administration doing this? I mean, I, I know you can't get into their minds, but what possible pretext could there be for doing this? You know, I, I, I hear that question or I get that question a lot. And I think back to the 117th Congress when Nancy Pelosi was last Speaker of the House. And one of their signature pieces of legislation was H.R. 1. The first 10 bills in any Congress are the priorities for that Congress. And theirs was H.R. 1 for the People's Act but I renamed it for the Politicians Act. What it did was it lowered the voting age to 16, it publicly financed politicians' campaign accounts, um, it, it did a litany of different things, got rid of voter ID, but it also made it so that non-citizens would be eligible to vote. When you have the equivalent of 23 states in America and the population of those 23 states coming through the Southwest border, you have to think maybe this is about the votes because maybe if we offer enough free stuff, right? And I free, nothing's free. But if we offer enough free stuff to these people, we're guaranteeing the future elections of the Democrat party. And it makes you wonder why are there so few Democrats that speak up and speak out uh, against the atrocities that are taking place at the Southwest border. They won't even bring themselves to go there. They won't bring themselves to acknowledge that the Biden administration has lost 85,000 children into trafficking. They won't acknowledge the horrible assaults. They won't acknowledge the fentanyl crisis that's taking place. Why? It makes you wonder if this is all about votes and continuing that agenda of dependency and control. And that all starts with elections. Yeah, and they uh, they have a lot of help, as you know. Of course, the UN has been a big part of this. I did an article uh, a couple of years ago about the UN. They have an organization for migration where they're actually encouraging these folks to come up. You've got a lot of NGOs, a lot of them funded by the U.S. taxpayer, setting up booths, handing out maps. Um, it, it seems like the American taxpayer, not just in terms of the free stuff, but in terms of the process, in terms of the advertising, is helping to finance this. Uh, you guys obviously have spending bills coming up in Congress. You have taken the position that we need to get the border situation under control. Uh, how is Congress going to do that? And, and do you think it's feasible for Congress to to basically hold the Biden administration accountable through the funding process? Well, the month of January will is really going to test the mettle of the Republican conference. This is our one shot, in my opinion, to really stop what's happening at the border, because it is the one piece of leverage that we have in our pocket that we don't have to pick up the foreign aid package that the Senate is so desperately trying to package and send our way, which is over $100 billion to Ukraine, Israel, Taiwan. They want to put other nations' sovereignty and security before our own. And so if we can hang tough as a Republican conference, we can stop any forward movement on any legislation, any foreign aid, until we actually get that border security package. And of course, we know that we have a half of the government funding bills coming up at the end of January. If we don't include language that does that, that says, 
we have to secure the border. No money shall be used to process illegals and, you know, end the catch and release. If we can do that, that'll be how we do it. The leverage point for us is making sure that we get the entire border security package. That's HR2. Because as we've heard from Joe Biden, he wants more money. That's not going to secure the border. He just wants more money to process people faster. We need an actual policy that the border patrol agents can sink their teeth into and uphold. That's where the, that cruxes. So we have to flex our muscle and it's essentially going to be a game of chicken of whether or not we're willing to go to the brink and hold the line for our nation's national security. So on the subject of national security, uh, I just got back from the COP28 yeah. in the United Arab Emirates. You were actually uh, asked to go as part of the U.S. congressional delegation. I ran into a lot of U.S. senators and asked all of them the same question. You know, under the guise of saving the climate, America, especially the Biden administration, is shutting down power plants of these methane promises they made uh, according to uh, Stephen Moore at Freedom Works and Heritage, we shut down 60% of our electrical power generation capacity. Uh, Communist China is obviously laughing all the way to the bank. Um, are they deliberately undermining our national security, or is this just stupidity? What do you suppose? Uh, I, I think it's probably the latter. I mean, I want to assume I want to assume the best in people and just assume that they um, lack the common sense that so many Americans have, in that they think that by shutting down uh, our domestic energy production, whether that is through natural gas or through uh, oil that we're somehow going to be taking the lion's share of the global emissions out of play. No, we are not the leader when it comes to global emissions. That would be China. And as we were talking earlier, China's putting a new coal-fired power plant online every couple of weeks. That should be the cause of concern. That should be the topic that is discussed, not how America, who produces energy cleaner, safer, and better than anywhere else in the world, is producing their energy. And you couple that with this EV agenda that they're pushing, um, where we know that the batteries are one of the worst offenders when it comes to environmental uh, uh, standards. And you think about all of the rare earth minerals and critical minerals that are required to produce those batteries, how many mines need to come online, they also need a grid that can support those vehicles and those so-called renewables, right? We see in California a perfect example where they are mandating that internal combustion engines be outlawed, but then they can't support with their grid the recharging capacity. So the fact that you had uh, COP28 in a nation that is an oil-producing nation, you had uh, people from nations that are some of the worst offenders flying in on private jets telling us uh, that we need to pony up because that's somehow gonna save the environment. I don't know what it is about government, but they think if you throw money at a problem, it just goes away. It doesn't, yeah. just, you know, newsflash. Um, but that to me is just another sign of how to out of touch the global elites really are. Uh, one of the highlights, I, I'm not sure if you saw this, but at one of the big fancy dinners, because um, some of my colleagues actually uh, shared this with me, they were talking about methane and they were talking about um, the global food supply and concerns. And they said, we're going to start moving towards the insects, right, uh, to produce more of our protein through that type of, um, of production. And they did this while enjoying a steak dinner. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I, I don't know if they actually realize uh, if it occurs to them that their hypocrisy is just 
out there for the world to see or if they are really that arrogant that they think we can't see it. It's truly staggering. It really is. All right, folks, we're going to go to break. We'll be right back. Hi, I'm Alan Keyes. I'm the host of IMTV's uh, daily talk show about uh, news and events in America. And I want to say a good word for the New American Magazine. Uh, not only because Alex Newman has joined us as somebody who is periodically hosting a show, but because uh, New American Magazine represents an alternative media that is willing to tell people the truth. Uh, with so much fake news spreading, spreading about and the fact that right now this country is in an existential crisis, we remember who we are and where we come from and what our principles are or we die. Reading New American Magazine can keep you up to the minute on the issues that are challenging us as a people and on which that survival hangs. You can check it out and subscribe at www.thenewamerican.com. All right. Um, so before we went to break, we were talking a little bit about the UN. Uh, there's a new bill in Congress. Actually, I asked uh, some of the senators there about it. Senator Mike Lee has introduced the Defund Act, basically to get the United States out of the United Nations, stop sending our money over there. Um, as we were talking a little bit before, you said the sentiment in Congress, even some of the moderate Republicans are now getting really upset with the UN. Uh, where does the United States go, in your view, in, in terms of its relationship with the United Nations and, and these different international organizations that are increasingly trying to take our sovereignty? Well, the definition of insanity is doing the same thing over and over again and expecting a different result. We have continued to pump billions of dollars. Really, at this point, I think we're 22 percent of the total budget for UN and their funding. We keep sending money, expecting a different result. When you look over the decades that they have been in place, they haven't accomplished their missions. Bosnia, Rwanda, Nigeria, Venezuela. You have Russia and China and Venezuela sitting on the Human Rights Council, for God's sakes. <laughs> I mean, give me a break. When you can't accomplish the missions that you have in your charter, it's time to take a step back and reevaluate. And so I would say for the nations, particularly the, the EU and the United States, the EU does about 23%, we do about 22% of the annual budget for the UN, we need to take a step back and reevaluate. Is the UN accomplishing their goals? No. So what is going to change? We have seen time and time again where they vote against the interests of the nations that are actually trying to do things right, the nations that uphold values like human rights. When they reward China, for example, for their abuses of human rights or during COVID, their attempts to undermine data collection, right? And, and that set up a, a trajectory that was devastating for not just the United States, but the world. Uh, that needs to be addressed and there has to be consequences. And I think in this case, we in the United States need to take a serious look at where it's going to have the most impact. And I think that's by pulling the funding. I think there needs to be an audit of the UN. I think there needs to be serious reforms. We see time and time again, they not only vote against the United States, but against Israel. And they have nothing to say about the atrocities that took place on October 7th in Israel, but they have a lot to say about what's happening in Gaza. So it's just a political agenda at work through the, the UN. They have done nothing to accomplish their goal that is laid out in their charter. And I think we have to do what is best for our nation and do what's best for America first before we look abroad. 
So on, on the subject of accountability, uh, you know as well as anybody, Congress has been holding hearings on the weaponization of the government. Uh, there are a lot of people concerned that the, the federal government is just going rogue and persecuting uh, opponents of the current uh, administration. Um, even the COVID thing, I mean, there really has not been a lot of accountability in terms of the people who assume dictatorial power. Uh, do you think it is feasible and maybe desirable to hold some of these people accountable? And if so, how does that happen? I, I do. I think we want to have to have accountability and there have to be consequences because there has been chaos as a result of the lack of consequences and people have become emboldened in how they continue to erode people's constitutional rights. I serve on the weaponization committee in Congress with Jim Jordan. And one of the things that has been staggering to me is how we have presented evidence most of the witnesses that we have brought before the committee are actually Democrat witnesses. And the Democrats who serve on this committee with us have attacked them. And, in, and, and the message has been, this isn't a Republican or a Democrat issue. This is an American issue. I don't care what side of the aisle you're on. You should care that the government is weaponizing against you the taxpayer, you, an American citizen who has constitutional protections. And whether you have a liberal perspective or a conservative perspective, when you have a White House coordinating with social media companies to take down your posts, or in one instance we saw, this was many instances, but in one report that we published, we had evidence, and, and this was emails, this was a, a litany of different communiques, where the Ukrainian intelligence service, the SBU, which is rife with double agents, they were sending messages to the FBI and the CIA demanding that different posts of American accounts be taken down, including the State Department. When you have a foreign government dictating your citizens' rights of what they can and cannot say, that's a problem. And that should not be a partisan issue. That should be a concern for everyone. We saw with COVID how if it didn't fit the political narrative that was being pushed, you were taken offline. We've seen consequences where doctors have had their licenses revoked. Um, in one instance, we saw uh, through the emails that we were able to uncover where uh, Dr. Collins, who was at that time the NIH director, and Dr. Fauci at the CDC, they said uh, there needed to be a quick and published takedown of any dissenting opinions when it came to the vaccine. That's very dangerous. That is what we need to uncover. When you have the FBI going after grandmothers who are peacefully protesting on the sidewalk, uh, when you have parents that are going to their school board meetings and they have agents in the parking lot writing down your parking, your, your tag, your license plate tag, when you have FBI agents that are whistleblowers being retaliated against because they feel like their mission is wholly unconstitutional, that's a problem not just for Republicans, but for Democrats. All Americans need to be concerned about the weaponization of government, which is another reason why I couldn't support the most recent NDAA, which included a clean FISA reauthorization. There have to be serious reforms to our international uh, intelligence collection because we have seen where that has been used against Americans here domestically. So 
we have a lot of work to do. It's a very serious issue, but we have to right the ship because our constitutional rights are at stake. Yeah, they really are. And, and on the subject of the Constitution, I, I checked out your Freedom Index score. You certainly do much better than most of your colleagues as, just based on the Constitution. So that's encouraging. But uh, we do have a, an issue in this country, as you understand well, that the government really no longer respects the Constitution. Uh, in your view, how do we move back toward respect to the Constitution? Uh, and in the last few minutes that we have left, what are some things that the grassroots can do to try to improve the situation? to try to hold the federal government accountable? So uh, this is probably going to be the least sexy topic that we can broach at this time. Um, but um, the regulatory regime, it has become the fourth branch of government that no one wants to talk about. But it is certainly one of the most deadly. It has really corrupted what our founding fathers envisioned. And so for me to get us back on track, my goal is to really reassert Article One authority in, in the legislative branch. Really making it so that the executive is designed to do nothing but execute the laws as they are written, rather than taking that into their own hands where we've seen, and it's not just this administration, it's been previous administrations. Again, this transcends party. It needs to go back to a system where Congress writes the laws and it, then you have an executive that executes them. Right now, we have a system where the White House, they want to write the laws, they want to execute on the laws, and then they want to be the judicial branch as well and weigh in on, on it as well. So between that and activist judges, we have a lot to do in reasserting our, our articles of authority and getting that Article One authority back into the hands of the People's House, which in turn goes to the people. That is a huge, huge way that we can reform the system empower people. Um, and the House of Representatives is the closest that the voice to the people that we have in government. So that is, I believe, the mission. The way that people can do this most effectively, I believe, is through one, of course, through engagement with their representative. But another thing that has been so powerful, and I say this because a lot of politicians in Washington are a bunch of chicken I don't know if I can say chicken shit, but I did. Sorry, Tim. Um, <laughs> but they are. And they, they are able to operate um, because they have a buffer where they don't. A lot of people feel like, oh, if I call, it doesn't get mentioned. It doesn't matter. It does matter. Because if you call up and you have a couple hundred phone calls come into one member's office in a day, that effectively shuts that office down. And then all of a sudden they start thinking about, oh my gosh, if people are paying attention, I better pay attention because if people back home are mad, that's gonna cost me my reelection. That little bit of effort that takes a person five minutes to call their representative and then their two senators, that's a game changer. It's a very minimal effort on, on the part of us as everyday Americans that has huge implications in Washington. So I encourage everyone, Get familiar, just put it on your fridge, write down the DC number for your, your House of Representatives member, write down the numbers for your two senators, and then also call their district offices. And no joke, it takes five minutes. Five minutes, you call up, you don't have to be screaming mad or anything, just say, I'm in this zip code, I want the representative, the congressman to vote yes or no on this, and I would like a response. That's super important to say you want a response because at that point they have to respond to you. Whether it's through a phone call, through a snail mail letter, through an email, they have to respond and that's the accountability measure that's also needed. So that little bit of effort on the part of we the people goes so far because the mass emails, they're easy to just kind of ignore. Um, the robocalls, they're ignored. That personal touch is what it's gonna take for us to take our country back.
Well, uh, that's pretty much all we have time for, Congresswoman, but just real quick, one last question, maybe even just a one-word answer. Uh, a lot of people are concerned about the future of the country, as you know from hearing from your constituents. Uh, are you optimistic about the future of America? Are we headed into tough times? Any thoughts? Yes. Uh, I don't know if I can do this in a one-word answer, but I'll do it as fast as I can. Um, I have some of the biggest hope um, and optimism that I've ever had in my life for our country. And I know that's saying a lot given the circumstances, but I believe that there is something unique and inherent in Americans. And we are gritty, we are scrappy, and we do our best work when our back is up against the wall. And that's why I know that the renaissance that is coming around the corner is gonna be the greatest times in American history. That's why I'm eternally optimistic about our future. Excellent, well thank you so much, Congresswoman Kat Kamek, really appreciate it.